All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Hi, it's New Tech City, and I'm your host, Manoush Samarodi. And in this episode, we attempt to bring you peace. Come along on our somewhat soothing journey as we look for serenity with our smartphones, balance between virtual and physical lives, where Buddhism intersects with technology. And we've even got a guided meditation designed for the digital age at the very end. But first, here's why I think we need to talk. I feel like we know each other well enough by now that I can share this. I am an addict, a Pinterest addict. And for those of you who haven't experienced Pinterest, it's a photo sharing app that lets you create collections of pictures, like pinning them to a bulletin board. And for me, it all started with renovating our home. At first, I was just pinning one or two photos of Scandinavian kitchens. Then I moved on to bathroom hardware, Moroccan tiles, wrought iron staircases. From there, it spread to modern bedroom lighting, clever uses of chalkboard paint. Every night, I'd put the kids to bed and then reward myself by stretching out on the floor with my iPad for hours, tapping, pinning, amassing hundreds of photos of my dream house. I'd promise myself I'd look for just one more picture of a Boucherut rug, and then I'd turn it off. But one more rug was never enough. Way later than planned, I'd finally crawl into bed, exhausted. But sleep? It wouldn't come. My brain was still buzzing from soaking up the blue light waves radiating from my tablet screen. Thanks to some Michigan State researchers, I now know for sure that my melatonin was indeed being messed with. Was I addicted to interior design porn? Was it that constant swiping motion on the iPad that kept me coming back for just one more photo of a herringbone wood floor? Or maybe every minute of staring into that blue light of a mobile screen is like snorting a quick bump of electronic cocaine. I'm better now, but once an addict, always an addict, right? So while I still do spend time on Pinterest, I found one way to manage my binging. I limit my iPad to one charge a week. And so I've given myself a choice. Go on a single pinning, battery-depleting bender every seven days, or slowly use up my battery with a reasonable, limited, daily dose of home decor. So sad, you might say. Manoush had so much potential. But I know I'm not the only one. I'm always looking at my phone from... Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. I find it harder to focus on any one thing. Like I have, 
even reading a book, I have my phone like on my lap, and if it buzzes a little bit, I get distracted and I check whatever is going on. And any social media stream is overwhelming now. I mean, it's just it's a compulsion in the sense that like. If there's a spare moment, of course you're going to check your, like, Facebook feed or Twitter. I try to stay off Instagram just because I don't need another social network in my life. But, um, yeah. That's Joe Basili, Mary James, and Tom Anderson, audience members at a recent New Tech City event here in New York. We gathered together to find some ways to use technology more purposefully to stop or at least stem the craziness. What I want to suggest to you tonight is a completely different way of how to live with technology in which you choose how you want to live first, what you want your hours to be, what kind of space you want to have in your mind, what kind of tasks you most enjoy doing, and then to use technology selectively, wisely and carefully to help you fulfill that purpose. Priya Parker has degrees from MIT Sloan and Harvard's Kennedy School. Her company is Thrive Labs, and she works with teams at places like the World Bank, MoMA, and the National Parks Conservancy to zero in on their core purpose. And she gets them to question the role of technology in making it happen. We allow every single email to show up on our phone without necessarily asking the question first, how will this feature change my experience of existence? Priya applies this critical philosophy to what she calls visioning labs. I've actually been through one. And they're very intensive sessions, usually for CEOs, entrepreneurs, or artists, kind of touchy-feely, but very mission-driven, goal-setting exercises. In short, we tend to live by the premise that whatever is invented, we must accept. And we should build lives that flow around these inventions, like boulders in water. To begin with, she advises us to take things a little slower, to be intentional on what we give our focus. So sit back and listen to Priya's three suggestions for rethinking your relationship with tech. So the first is to conduct an information technology audit on yourself and to actually do it live, do it during the day. So not on Sunday night thinking like, what was Friday like? But starting Monday morning, just write down over the course of the day, what are the activities that you're doing? How many minutes did you spend on Facebook during that bit? How many different tabs do you keep open at the same time? And how often do you go back and forth on them? How long is the longest you can go without checking social networks if you're working on an idea? And do you keep work tasks and personal tasks separate, or do you jumble them together? And then, when you've completed your audit, to start sniffing out for hypocrisies. In what ways are you spending your time that conflict with how you claim you want to spend your time, and in what ways are they aligned? The second major tip, and if anything else, this is my biggest, biggest, biggest tip, which is you need to have a talk with your email. You need to have a DTR. You need to have a define the relationship with your email. (laughs) And you need to actually think about how do you want to interact with this monstrosity? The best definition of email I've ever heard is it's a to-do list made for you by everyone else in the world without your permission that you have to do. And whether that's true or not, the first thing in the morning, most of the people I work with roll over and the first thing they do is they look at their phone, often because it's the alarm clock. And then we just sneak a look to see what emails came in. And what you're doing there is basically giving up your day to whatever happened to come in overnight. 
And so one of the biggest ways to actually recontrol what happens in your day is to spend the first half an hour, the first 15 minutes of your day in a non-tech buffer mode. When you think to yourself, what do I actually want to get done today? And then you look in this as a source of information, but not the agenda. Figure out when you check in during the day on your email. Are you sitting in sort of the bathtub of email, stewing in its juices all day long? Or are you checking in at certain periods, 8.15 and noon and 3? And then put up an away message. I think away messages are drastically underused. There's sort of this automatic reply email, I'm on vacation. And finally, carve space in your life for long, slow, inefficient things. And inefficient is actually the key word. We often are focused so much on productivity that productivity and purpose get confused. And ideally on a weekend, to spend time doing something for six or eight hours. Um, my husband and I run these things in New York just for our own amusement called I Am Here Days. We spend 12 hours in a neighborhood. We gather three or four other friends. We turn off our phones. And we literally explore a neighborhood on foot. We've done 17 of these. And it's almost become a way to just sort of develop a rhythm with friends. The only rules are you have to show up on time, you have to stay all 12 hours, no drop-ins, no drop-outs, and you have to be game, and you have to turn your phones off. So to find experiments for yourself of long ways to just sit and concentrate on something for six or eight hours without your technology, and probably because it doesn't make any sense. That's Priya Parker and some ways of purposefully managing your outer life, what you do every day, with or without technology. But now let's turn to your inner life. The cover of Time magazine hails the mindful revolution. The New York Times says mindfulness is having a moment. In fact, the hottest new so-called tech conference is called Wisdom 2.0. I want to talk a bit about mind hacking. I've started thinking this is a really good metaphor for what the contemplative traditions throughout the ages have tried to do with meditation and prayer. They didn't call it this, obviously. They didn't have this metaphor. They didn't live in the information world. But for me, it, it makes a lot of sense that we're kind of exploring our inner operating system. One of the people on that Wisdom 2.0 scene is Vincent Horn, the founder of Buddhist Geeks, a podcast and a conference that explores the convergence of Buddhism and new technology. Yes, there is a convergence. We also have to be able to work with our technology consciously and not create a, a kind of digital dualism. Vince says mindfulness, this idea of focusing on just being, is appealing to more people because now it can be based on solid neuroscience. In 2007, there's some researchers at the University of Toronto, and they realized that when they were having research participants come and sit in an fMRI and study their brains, that often they'd have to have like a baseline, right? So we're going to have to do this test or do this task, and then we're going to have you come back to your baseline, right, which is doing nothing. But what they realized is actually that doing nothing is not doing nothing. Our baseline, when we're not trying to do anything in particular, is that we actually start thinking a lot, and we start thinking about ourselves a lot. So we actually start to do what's called self-referential processing. And they describe this as the default mode network in the brain. So there's these certain areas that start lighting up when we're doing nothing, which means we're actually doing something. And what we're doing is we're creating and generating our sense of self. We're actually telling ourselves a story about ourselves. What 
the researchers have then found that have been studying meditation is that there's this other network in the brain and you start coming back out of the self-referential constant thinking about me, myself, and I that you start to actually go into this other mode which is the experiential mode so you start actually just experiencing your body, your senses you start seeing thoughts arise and come and go like clouds in the sky But the road to Zen isn't simply about rediscovering the on-off switch on your brain or on your phone, according to Vince. He's part of a growing community of technologists who are creating apps, games, programs in the name of helping people find mindfulness. There are a whole slew of interesting apps and hardware coming out that actually could be used to help us be less distracted, to actually enhance our capacity to be contemplative. I'll give you one example. There's a company in San Francisco called Emotive, and they build EEG headsets. And they've got this really cool six-channel EEG thing. It looks like, like an alien came down and like, basically is on top of your head. And what the EEG sensor does is it tracks you know, certain uh, brainwave patterns, and it loops into software so you can do different things with it. So one thing they're doing is they're working with an Australian car company, and they've done this thing where you wear the EEG headset and you're in the car, And when you get distracted, when your mind starts wandering, the device sees the pattern for that, and then the car actually responds to you, and it starts slowing down. But isn't it amazing that there's this technology that can allow us to actually enhance our capacity for non-distracted attention? And what if we could use something like that while we're working or while we're in relationship? You know, something to, to give us this kind of ambient feedback that, hey, you know, you're, not, you're not here. You're not present right now. Kind of come back almost like training wheels for the mind. You know, I think that would be helpful. I would use that in a heartbeat. And we've actually got a list of mindfulness and meditation apps on our website, newtechcity.org. But if you're feeling skeptical with this notion, it's with good reason. Wired magazine had a great article last year that said, while meditation is all the rage in Silicon Valley, it's not just about finding inner peace. It's about getting ahead. And so I asked Vince and Priya, Do we need to worry here? There's part of me that feels uncomfortable with the idea of corporations being like, let's have in-house meditation because then people will be more productive and then we can make more money, essentially, is what they're saying, right? Is there something sort of a little icky about corporations getting into doing some of the things that you do? It is very good that sources of meaning and inspiration and purpose are coming into organizations, and I think that they can be misused. Have you seen that anywhere? I'll answer it with the opposite, which is I think that there are organizations that use it authentically. I think Whole Foods is one that brings in, in their very structures of operating, the way they design their teams, the way they hire people, the way they hold their annual meetings, are all operationally in line with being mindful and being purposeful and with their vision and mission. And if they do you know, meditation in the mornings, it is authentic with how they actually, you know, with their annual report. I think when it can become dangerous or icky to use your word is... It's a highly technical word. It's a highly technical (laughs) word, is when the system, in a way, is rotten and tools are being brought in to satiate problems that exist otherwise. So if people are working 100 hours a week and they're bringing in a meditation coach, that's not the problem. And And so I think part of this is 
these questions are bringing up the questions you're asking. And the millennial generation, from my experience, is looking more and more for sources of meaning from work and not just from other sources in society. And as things like church attendance is going down and other forms of traditional meaning um, is starting to decentralize, all sorts of studies show that the young generation is really wanting to have purpose and meaning and mindfulness and inspiration in the 70% of their hours, which is at work. Vince, what about you? I'd I'd add just one piece, which is that meditation and the techniques of meditation that are being corporatized, they didn't develop in a vacuum. They developed with this sort of rich philosophical and cultural history, mostly in Asia. So part of the concern that I see the more contemplative camps having with this trend is, hey, wait a second, you're cherry-picking in some sense a, a few things, and you're, you're, you're basically... Right. Taking what works for them for the bottom line. Right, right. You're, you're, you're using the intentions that you have, and you're trying to take this and have it enhance what you already assume you should be doing. But I think the real potential, actually, of these meeting of worlds is for them to shine a light on each other, for meditation and the systems that it came out of to actually shine a light on how we do business. And for what we've learned in the business world, it's very difficult to explain how frustrating it can be sometimes in the contemplative spiritual world. Like, you know, there's plenty of light to be shined the other way, too. Right. (laughs) I, for one, was happy to read a study the other day that researchers working with the Department of Defense found that getting as little as 12 minutes of meditation practice a day helped Marines keep their attention and working memory stable. Just 12 minutes a day. So that, combined with the seven-minute workout I do every morning, could turn me into the most serene yet productive person in New York City. Okay, highly unlikely. But I guess what we're saying here is since giving up our gadgets really isn't an option, and you're constantly looking at your phone anyway, why not let a meditation app assist you in your quest to carve out some moments of just being? Or, if you prefer... Take the next five minutes or so to let Vincent Horn of the Buddhist Geeks guide you in a meditation here on our podcast. I'm Anoush. This is New Tech City. Namaste. So we're just going to start. You can keep your eyes open if you like. You can close them. Just find a position where you're sitting, where you feel comfortable. Also upright. So upright, comfortable, relaxed. And just let your attention drop into your body. So we've just taken in some great ideas. And for the moment, we're just going to let that go and actually drop into the experience of sitting, of being. Feeling your butt touching the chair, the pressure. the warmth or coolness of your skin. The rhythm of your breath coming in, expanding, going out, contracting. Just feeling what it's like to be a physical being, to have a body, to be in the body. Noticing, too, 
that you also have a mind and that sometimes your mind will wander. May wander to thoughts about what you're going to do after this event. May wander back in time. It may wander to assessments or evaluations of what's happening in this moment. The mind has this tendency to go other places. And when you notice that, allow your attention to return, to come back to this physical experience of just being, of sitting, pressure, touching, relaxing, tightness, whatever it is. Okay, great. So you can feel the stillness actually in the room just from taking a few minutes to drop into our bodies. So we can end here. So thank you. Great job.